Morning, church. Well, it's that time of year again, and uh, I know that all of us are thinking ways that we can have a, a meaningful Advent and Christmas. I think we all desire that, don't we? I mean, I've never heard anybody say, hey, this year for Christmas, let's max out our credit cards. Let's spend our way into a mountain of debt. Or, uh, hey, let's buy presents they can't possibly ever use. Or, hey, let's spend our Christmas fighting and arguing over who we're going to visit this year or who we're not going to visit. But, of course, year after year, that's kind of exactly what happens, doesn't it? Now, you probably think in a pastor's home that that never happens. That Christmas is all about the spiritual. But it's not. We have the same tensions that everybody else has. One tradition that we had that I absolutely loved was lighting the Advent candle. And every Sunday evening in Advent, beginning when the girls were just babies, we would read a scripture and sing a Christmas carol and then light the Advent candle. It was a wonderful tradition, very special time in our family during the season of Advent. And then our girls became teenagers. And it became a nightmare. They would come in late. They would laugh and make fun of it. They would argue about who was going to light which candle. And my wife would end up screaming, you're going to burn down the house. Put the matches down every year. And then I would totally go berserk. And I would go into some tirade about, this is Christmas. It's a spiritual time for families. Why can't you just sit down and, and shut up, please? <laughs> One year I totally lost it. And I said, you know what? We're no longer doing this. I am sick and tired of your lack of respect. And for the next 20 years, we didn't. But the last few years, we've started doing it with our grandkids, using FaceTime. And do you know what? They act just like their parents did at that age. <laughs> and instead of getting mad and losing it, my wife and I, we just laugh, and we think how just God is <laughs> that we get revenge on our kids. How about you? Do you wrestle with those kinds of things, trying to find a way to make Advent and, and to make Christmas meaningful? So we want to help you do that this year. Uh, through our Advent series, we've entitled A Savior is Born, and we want to unpack what it means to be saved. Now we know that people use that word a lot in church, but do we really understand what it means? And I think that once we, we begin to understand the, the rich fullness of this word, that Christmas will start to mean so much more uh, for us. And so we're going to put the story series on pause. We'll pick that up again in January. You see, Advent is, is a time of preparation for Christ's coming. And one of the Bible characters most associated with Advent is John the Baptist. And we find him in our reading today from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. And we find that John's mission is to prepare people for the coming of Christ. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. 
And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. And confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, the gospel writer calls this good news. And to me, that seems like a stretch. I mean, here is this strange man out in the middle of the wilderness. He's dressed in strange apparel and eating a strange diet of, of locusts and honey and preaching a strange and, would I say, an offensive message to people that they are sinners and they need to repent and believe this good news. I think what John needs is to hire a good PR firm and to help him with his branding, coach him on his wardrobe and, and his messaging. But stranger still is the whole countryside and, and all of Jerusalem go out to see him. I mean, really? What's the attraction? See, maybe the attraction is not so much the man. Maybe the attraction is the good news itself. So what is it? Well, the good news, or the gospel, is the news that God's kingdom is breaking into our world, and that Jesus' ministry and death and resurrection is proof of that. You may remember when John was thrown into prison by Herod, and he was beginning to have some doubts about Jesus, he sent some of his followers to ask Jesus, are you the one, or should we look for someone else? And Jesus replied, go and tell John what you hear and see, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. See, Jesus is saying, I'm the one. Look around, see what God is doing. And so the good news is really about a person, Jesus. And the fact the name Jesus is the Greek equivalent for the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua means Yahweh saves. Now Yahweh is the, the Hebrew word for God. And so the good news is that Jesus came to save us. Now what does that mean? Now some of us think that to be saved means that our sins are forgiven that we get a get-out-of-hell card, and that our, we get a one-way ticket punched to heaven. Now, the Greek word for save is sozo. It certainly carries with it that meaning of, of deliverance from sin and judgment. This is, in fact, the meaning found in, in Matthew chapter 1. Joseph has found out that Mary is with child, and he knows that he is not the father, and so he, he plans to break off the engagement. But he has a dream that night, and an angel appears to him and says, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. There's that word, so-so. He will so-so his people from their sins. 
But we find it also being used in, in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples are, are out for a sail across the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful day, and Peter's at the helm. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this storm comes ripping across the, the, the lake. And, and Peter and James and John, they're experienced sailors, but, but this is like something they've never seen before, and they think they're going to die. They think they're going to drown. And, and they go around looking for Jesus. What's he doing? He's taking a nap. And they wake him up, and they say, Lord, save us. So so us. And he does. He calms the storm. He saves them from harm. He saves, saves them from drowning. He, he saves them from death. Well, after the storm, they arrive at the region of the Gerasenes and they encounter a man who is demon-possessed. And he's running around naked among the tombs, and, and no one has been able to help him. And he sees Jesus, he runs right at him, he falls down, and he says to him, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Jesus asked him his name, and the man replied, Legion, because many demons had gone into him. Jesus commands the demons to leave the poor man, they do, and the man is instantly himself again. And the townspeople, they hear what is going on, and, and when they come to see what has happened, they find the man dressed and in his right mind and having a conversation with Jesus. And verse 36 says this, Those who had seen it told the man how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Sozo, cured, healed, delivered from evil. But that's not all. In the very next chapter, there, there's a woman who's had a bleeding issue for 12 years. And she figures if she can just touch the hem of his cloak, she'll be healed. And she does. And Jesus turned and he said to her, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has sozoed you. So the word carries this meaning of, of healing, physical healing. So what we learn from these stories is that the good news is that God in Christ is not just rescuing our soul, that he's rescuing us from danger, from, from affliction, from, from disease. He is delivering us from evil, that Jesus is in the process of restoring us. And so to be saved is a process. It's not just a, a one-and-done deal. He is restoring our broken relationships. He is restoring our broken spirits. He is restoring our, our broken bodies and our estrangement from God. And it begins at the moment of our salvation and continues until we reach perfection in heaven. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that we can't keep this good news to ourselves. That this good news is, is for sharing. That God wants to do this for everybody. God wants to do this for the world. You see, the angel, he shared it with the shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all people. God wants you and me to share the good news and, and to bring great joy to all people during this season of Advent. Let me just list four ways that we can do that. Number one, good news people are set free to live and to share our faith. Think about it. Who are the people at your favorite restaurants? Who are the people at your gym or at your school or, or at your club or at work who, who need some good news? You see, the Holy Spirit wants to use you and he wants to use me to make a positive impact on their lives. How can we live can make a real difference for other people. 
A few months before my father passed away, Melinda and I uh, took my dad out uh, to Max, a, a local favorite restaurant of his, for breakfast. And he hadn't been there for several months because he had given up driving his car. And when we arrived, one of the waitresses came running up and she hugged my dad and she had tears in her eyes and she was telling him how much she had missed him and how concerned she had been about him. And she said, tomorrow I'm going to bring you some, some home-baked cookies. And Melinda and I, we were sitting there kind of stunned. I mean, we loved my dad, but we had really never quite seen that side of him before, you know. <laughs> Obviously, this waitress had experienced him at a totally different level than we did. He had made an impact on her life by simply living his his testimony, his Christian life when he came to get his breakfast. And we can do the same. You see, Christians are simply people who are in love with Jesus. And people who are in love with something, they, they rarely keep it to themselves. I don't know about you, but when I find a restaurant with great service and, and great food, I want to tell everybody about it. Look what I found. And when I find a, a restaurant with really bad food and really bad service, I really, really enjoy telling everybody about that. But here's what I'm discovering. It doesn't take a, a newspaper ad. It, it doesn't take a, a review on Yelp. <laughs> Sharing your faith is simple. People who are in love with Jesus and have experienced him telling other people what they've discovered. You see, as Christians, we're to love others. We don't want them to be ignorant of God. We don't want them to be isolated from the, from the best uh, life that God has to offer them. And so when you, share pe when you love people, you care enough to share God's love with them. You value their knowing Christ. You value sharing the good news. That's the first thing. Secondly, good news people are set free to be generous. See, we're, 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 we've been convinced by our culture that life is about taking. It's about accumulating stuff. It's about gaining advantages over other people. It's about climbing ladders. I mean, you know, to, to, to the idea of being generous, thinking about others first, that seems naive. This past Friday, how, how many of you went, went shopping on, on Black Friday? Nobody did? Not a single one. Okay, there's one. So, two. Okay. <laughs> this is a different kind of church, isn't it? So... <laughs> Let me ask you, you don't have to raise your hands. How many of you bought something for yourself, really? You weren't Christmas shopping, were you? You bought something for yourself. Estelle, you bought a, a new, t um, like, 78-inch screen TV, right? You did, yeah. The Christian life is different. You can be generous with your friendships. It doesn't have to be huge. Who do you know who... Who needs a friend? Who do you know who needs some company? Don't know anybody? We can help connect you with lots of folks in, in care centers that would love to have a friend. Uh, you can be generous with your time. Uh, on December 13th, we have our annual Christmas outreach. And, and most of the tags in the Connection Center, most of them are gone now. But, but we still need people to help shop and, and to help sort and, and to be there on that day to help our, our guests who will come through our doors. We can be generous with our money. We've been doing our annual Zambia well project uh, for, since 2008. Did you know that we have raised $858,000 for the wells in Zambia? 
I, I, I guess in two or three years, we're going to hit the $1 million mark. Wouldn't that be something? But folks, it doesn't have to be through church. Be generous through, through a food pantry. Be generous through a, a shelter. Be generous through scouts or, or through the PTO. Find a way to be generous this season. Next, good news people are set free to care about justice and mercy. You see, as, as followers of Jesus who, who took on the justice of God, we have to be passionate about working for justice. Now, certainly Christians in the church haven't always gotten this right. Now, Christians have done some pretty horrible things over the centuries. But there have been many Christians that, that have really allowed the justice of God to, to shape their lives. I, I think of people like William Wilberforce and John Woolman who made it their life's business to bring about the end of the slave trade. I think about people like Martin Luther King Jr. who, who led peaceful protests that, that changed the course of racial segregation in, in this country and, and who gave his life for it. I think of people like Bishop Desmond Tutu who brought about an end to the apartheid regime in South Africa or Oscar Romero who spoke out against poverty and social injustice and, and torture in El Salvador. These Christian men and women tried to embody God's justice. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 as he began his mission that he had come to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom of prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free. God gives us that responsibility as well. As God's children, he wants us to be just and he wants us to act justly. The prophet Micah summed this up by saying, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. And then lastly, good news people are set free to be affirming. Uh, here's what I'm discovering, that, and that once you find wholeness, once you begin to understand how loved you are by God, that it sets you free. And it sets you free to, to affirm others. We are fret set free to, to find the best and the positive and all those around us and, and to celebrate and to affirm that. You know, I, I've kind of got a, a dark side to me. I have a tendency to be negative. Uh, I, I have sometimes a tendency to be critical. Sometimes I think I'm, I'm channeling my inner Eeyore. You all know who Eeyore is? One of his favorite quotes, I could use this. He says, the sky has finally fallen. I always knew that it would, you know. <laughs> I identify with that. That's me sometimes. And sometimes it's a struggle. The other day someone said to me, God told me to tell you something, Pastor. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and suddenly a couple dozen things come to mind that God might want to speak to me about. But I said, okay, go ahead. What did God tell you to say to me? God said, he loves you. Ah, I know that. At least up here in my head. But man, does it feel good to be reminded of that. And something happens when it gets from my head down to my heart. I find that it frees me to be able to affirm other people and to see the good and to see the positive. How much better our marriages might be? How much better our, our friendships, our, 
how much more positive might our workplace uh, be if we could learn to affirm others? You see, folks, the, the best news is, is that we don't have to stay the same. One of my favorite Advent hymns is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus by Charles Wesley. We just sang it a few minutes ago, but I want, I want you to hear the verse again. He writes, Born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. That's my Advent prayer this year. I hope it's your Advent prayer as well. That Jesus has come to set us free. Friends, there is so much more to the good news. There is so much more to the gospel than we can ever dream or imagine. And when we embrace that, when we believe the good news, and when we turn our lives over to Christ, He begins this whole process of restoring our minds, healing our relationships, setting us free from the things that, that keep us down, those things that hold us back. And as we prepare our hearts for this Advent season, the best thing we can do is to give Him room 